Man, great stuff. Okay, uh, it's good to be here. And um, just say, if you're visiting us, watching online, there might be one or two folks, I guess, who may not be regular. Um, it's our practice here. Uh, we, believe it or not, even in this day and age, hold to the Bible. Uh, we think it's God's living word. It's worth looking into. Some people, we've got one or two people, I'm looking at Ray Miller here, have given their life to studying it and then lecturing on it and teaching on it. So, um, yeah, we just believe you can build your life on what this says. Your life may not always look straightforward, I grant you that, but you can stand on this and we want to encourage you to do that this morning. And we're going to look at a book this morning, we're beginning a series in the book of what's called Ecclesiastes. Ecclesiastes, it's I think a Greek Latin word for kind of teacher, the assembler of the group, I'll come back to that in a minute and um, it's tricky, it is a tricky book, isn't it? I'm sure many of you know that. And just to catch a flavour of it, we're going to read the start of it. We're going to start at the beginning. We're not going to take this book passage by passage. Um, we're going to look at different themes in it. But just to give you a flavour then, this is how it begins. The words of the teacher, son of David, king of Jerusalem, and I'll come back to who that is. Meaningless, meaningless, says the teacher. Utterly meaningless, pointless, futile. Utterly meaningless. Everything is meaningless. I hope this is building you up here this morning. <laughs> what do people gain from all their labours at which they toil under the sun? Generations come and generations go, but the earth remains forever. The sun rises and the sun sets, or not these days, but anyway, and hurries back to where it rises. The wind blows to the south and turns to the north. Round and round it goes, ever returning on its course. All streams flow into the sea, yet the sea is never full. To the place the streams come from, there they go back again. All things are wearisome. More than one can say. The eye never has enough of seeing, nor the ear its fill of hearing. What has been will be again. What has been done will be done again. There is nothing new under the sun. Is there anything of which one can say, look, this is something new. It was here already long ago. It was here before our time. No one remembers the former generations. <laughs> oh dear, how bleak is this? <laughs> and even those yet to come, or is it, will not be remembered by those who follow them. Lord, help us. <laughs> so we've called this series A Word to the Wise. And I wonder if you've read Ecclesiastes. Because chances are, if you've read it, you might not have read it recently. You might not necessarily have gone back to it. Because it is the case as Christians, isn't it, sometimes some books we read and then we think, yeah, I'm not reading that again. 
or we don't just touch, you know, we read our favorite passages, our favorite books. We're quite okay. We like the Gospels, Jesus, and all that sort of stuff. But it does us good to wrestle with Scripture. Having prepped this, or at least tried to prep it this week, I just find myself thinking, this is so pertinent to where many in society are at. You see, if you've read Ecclesiastes and these phrases, you know, you're trying to catch what, who is writing here, what are they saying, you know, this thing about meaningless. It's almost like conveying this kind of cynical, even hopeless attitude. Just to say that's not the message of Ecclesiastes. Brothers and sisters, let's not be jaded, cynical Christians. Okay? Do I hear an amen in the house of God? Please, let's try and be optimistic Christians, okay? Yes. So anyway, so I'm prepping for this this week. And um, I've read my commentaries, and we've got a few of them. So I've read my commentaries, and I realise this book is all straightforward, other than there are questions about who the author is, the date, the genre, and even whether it should be in the canon of Scripture, even whether it has the authority to be in Scripture. Now, that was a debate. Evangelical Christians, Bible-believing Christians believe it should be in Scripture. But it's been a debate. It was even in a debate whether amongst the ancient Jews, pre-Christ, whether it should have been in their Scriptures. Why? Because it's just it's really tricky. It's just really difficult to work out what this is about. So there am I. I am prepping there. And what I tend to wait for when I'm prepping is it's like the big idea of a talk. You know, what is at the heart of it? You ought to, I think anyone speaking should be able to give their talk, you know, the nut, nub of their talk in a sentence. Now you may say, well, why don't you just... <laughs> ah, ah, because there are... It, it also says... The teacher brings out treasures from the storehouse. <laughs> so what's the big idea? So I kid you not, Thursday, I like to try and have the talk done, sermon done by Thursday, the PowerPoint sent off and all of that sort of stuff. I kid you not, I come to the end of Thursday, literally I am looking at a blank sheet. Nothing. Absolutely Nothing. I've, I've studied, I've got, there's ideas, but there's nothing that I'm going, I think this is it. I think this is the kind of heart of the message. And so Ali says to me, why don't you have a break and just clear your head? So I go, yeah. So I watch an episode of The Orville, okay, which is, anyone seen it, by the way? Yeah, does anyone like it? It's all right, isn't it? It is all right. I've kind of started... So it's, it's not a Star Trek spoof, but it's a, it's a homage. It pays tribute, I think, to Star Trek. Actually, it's quite good. It makes you think. Anyway, I mean, I'm not saying it's really deep and profound, okay? Don't... But, so I watch an episode of it, which I think... No, I'll tell you what. I'll tell you what. Let's leave the episode. I'll just explain it because of the, the trickery and just because of time. I'm conscious of time as well. So I watch an episode. Is that all right, James? Okay, thank you very much. So I watch an episode of this. And basically, uh, this particular episode, the crew of the Orville come across um, a, a ship floating in space. And this ship is huge, 
and it's heading towards a star and it's going to crash into this star and be destroyed. And they can't see signs of life, so they beam down onto this huge ship. The crew of the Orville beam down onto this huge ship. And they meet these folks and they realise this, of course, is what we in the sci-fi business called a bio-ship. A bio-ship, which means inside this huge ship there is a world of grass and trees and rivers set up so people can live in that. But they're in a ship. They're in a spaceship. And what happens is the people living in this world with the grass and trees don't realise they're on a spaceship. So the crew of the Orville have to explain to them, you're on a bio ship. Did you not know that? And they go, no, we didn't know that. Are you from the beyond? We didn't know there was a beyond and all the rest of it. Anyway, and so the episode goes on. They save them from crashing into this star. So what happens here is this. There's the inhabitants of this spaceship unaware they are in a closed system. They're unaware of this and they have a deficient understanding of reality. Their world they see as their world. This is all there is, but they've got a deficient understanding of reality. And they're on collision because of their deficient understanding. They're on collision. There's going to be a harmful outcome to this. See, the problem is this. You don't know what you don't know. You don't know what you don't know, and it's really important, therefore, that we try and broaden our horizons and listen to voices that maybe explain to us what we don't know. All of us, all of us, none of us know what we don't know. And all of us, therefore, need to try and have experiences that broaden our horizons. Aha, I thought. To use the Greek, eureka. That is what the book of Ecclesiastes is about, says I. And so, what follows comes out of an episode of the Orville. No one promised this was going to be deep, okay? Is this. They are the deliberations of this teacher. Like I say, the word comes from a Hebrew word meaning the assembled. Okay, so it's, it's thought this was a teacher of wisdom, who lives, though, in a closed system of his own understanding. And his understanding is deficient. It's not completely wrong, but it has major deficiencies. He doesn't know what he doesn't know. And he searches for meaning within his system And because of that, his deficient understanding, he's on collision course with harmful outcomes. His conclusions are not beneficial to him or anyone else. Meaningless, meaningless is not a good outcome. If we lived like that, meaningless and worse still, jaded, cynical, that's not a good way to live. And so it's good to... Just as an aside, it is good to talk to people who, yes, may challenge you, but will broaden you. It's why it is good to read, you know, people outside, to to listen to voices. And 
certainly if we're in leadership, we need that. We need to be challenged to show what we don't know. If we've got any sort of responsibility or as parents, anything like that, to try and see what we don't know and to listen to voice, be humble enough to do that, not to get uppity about it. And so the conclusion then of this teacher in this deficient closed system is this. Meaningless, meaningless, says the teacher, utterly meaningless. Everything is meaningless. It's also the conclusion summarized at the end of the book. So this conclusion, if you like, top and tails the book of Ecclesiastes. So their conclusion is that ultimately things are meaningless. Like I say, there's good truth within that, but ultimately that's their conclusion. The word word that means vapor or breath. So there's some discussion exactly what it does mean, but it, you know, it's in this ballpark of that which is elusive, that which is fleeting, that which you can't get hold of. The writer is looking for meaning and purpose, as we'll see, but it's elusive. Can't quite get hold of it. Well, is, is that a good conclusion then? Is that a good conclusion? Is that true that everything is meaningless? I hope instinctively, I can remember before I was a Christian actually, instinctively I did not think that was the case. Something inside me said, I can't see that we're just here and, and that's it, it's empty. That there's no purpose in there. Something inside me said, I think I'm made for a purpose. And if you like, that began my search, really, and has led me into Christianity. So what happens in the book of Ecclesiastes is this. The teacher role plays different scenarios. And if you read the book, and I really recommend through these four weeks, read it. It'll, I should think it will take less than an hour. Read it. And you'll see the teacher role plays these different scenarios. It's one of the reasons why it makes it quite difficult to understand who wrote it, something it was King Solomon. It, it doesn't appear to be the case. But the reason particularly they think that is the, the teacher speaks as if they were a king with wisdom and riches. So what the teacher does then puts themselves in different situations, as we'll see, to explore is there meaning in that? Is there meaning in being a king and powerful and all those? Is there meaning in other situations which we'll come to? And it's a key question, isn't it? Because we don't want to invest. I hope you don't want to invest your life in something that is insignificant and untrue. Be all in. If you find something worth living for, and I want to say to you, particularly if you're not a Christian, there is a truth out there that you can invest in. There is an absolute truth to this world. There is a big explanation to it all, and it's worth investing our lives in. Now, most of us in this room say that purpose is Christ, ultimately. But even then, we've got to ask ourselves a question, haven't we? Am I all in then? Is that all I'm, ultimately, is that all I'm living for? We don't want to be chasing white rabbits. Things that aren't it. It's an interesting question. Many people have asked this question. This is a few quotes by a few philosophers, writers around meaning. What is the meaning of it all? Albert Camus, a French philosopher, it was called existentialism, particularly pessimistic. Okay? You will never be happy if you continue to search what happiness consists of. 
You will never live if you are looking for the meaning of life. The French existentialist said there's no meaning. He says elsewhere, one of his other quotes is, the meaning is that which stops you killing yourself. (sighs) Come on, people. Joseph Campbell, life has no meaning. Each of us has meaning and we bring it to life. It is a waste to be asking the question when you are the answer. There's a lot out there. You read some of these quotes. You Google this. There's a lot out there that says you are the meaning. You're the meaning. I don't know about you. I don't want to be the meaning. I don't. And I don't want to have to come up with the the meaning of life in myself because I just know I'm inadequate for that. But that's a lot of what you hear in the world. You are the meaning. Here's a slightly more optimistic writer. Roy T. Bennett, learn to light a candle in the darkest moments of someone's life. Be the light that helps others see. It is what gives life its deepest significance. So be the light. You be the light. That's the meaning. You be the light. Now, there's more to that. It's a little bit more upbeat, isn't it? But even then, I know there are times I am not a light. I'm not a light. I'm a bit dim. You go, yeah, we know. Do you know what I mean, though? Is this resonate? Do you know what I mean? I don't want it to be that I'm, I'm the light now. I'm the light and the meaning. Oh, my goodness. Here's one. Easton, Amit Ray. It does not matter how long you are spending on the earth, how much money you have gathered, or how much attention you have received. It is the amount of positive vibration you have radiated in life that matters. I'm picking up a good vibrations. So that's it. You are to go out, go, people, the message this morning is this. Go out there and give out good vibrations. I wouldn't even know where to start. Would you? What, what, does, that, what does that even mean? Prepping this this week, I have to say, it did take me back to before I was a Christian because I was empty. I was, you know, I had friends. I was living for pleasure. But I knew in terms of this big question of purpose... I was empty. I think we forget as Christians there's an awful lot of people live like that out there. We take it for granted, I think, that we have a sense of purpose. But there's an awful lot of people without a profound, deep sense of meaning. And so the teacher goes on a search. And maybe the teacher has searched places where we've searched. Maybe some of these places we've found ourselves searching. And we're going to explore these a bit in our series. We're going to look a bit more in detail, but just to quickly recap. Firstly, the teacher looks at wisdom. And this is the teacher's conclusion on wisdom. I said to myself, look, I have increased in wisdom more than anyone who has ruled over Jerusalem before me. So that, that's why folks think it's, it could have been Solomon. Like I say, there's a lot of reason why it's, it's probably not Solomon. I have experienced much of wisdom and knowledge. Well, that's good. Maybe it's in wisdom then. Then I applied myself to the understanding of wisdom and also of madness and folly. But I learned that this too is a chasing after the wind. So ultimately, what they're saying there is even chasing after wisdom itself isn't, it's like chasing the wind. Now, there's a lot in scripture about being wise. But wisdom in itself isn't it. Knowledge in itself isn't it. And again, we live in a hugely knowledgeable world. But I don't know that it's found contentment. 
So wisdom in itself is actually the person, women. That's what the writer looks says themselves, okay? He says, I said to myself, come now, I will test you with pleasure to find out what is good. But that also pro proved to be meaningless. Laughter, I said, is madness. And what does pleasure accomplish? So it's wine, living it up, hedonism, pleasure. I tried cheering myself with wine and embracing folly. It's almost like they run a little experiment, this teacher. I'm going to try this for a bit. I, I know Christians that have said this. I'm going I'm to try living it up, you know, getting hammered every now and again. Pleasure, see what it's like. See, if that's the purpose. My mind's still guiding me with wisdom. I wanted to see what was good for people to do under the heavens during the few days of their lives. But this also proved to be meaningless, they say. They tried wealth. I amassed silver and gold for myself and the treasure of kings and provinces. I became greater by far than anyone in Jerusalem before me. In all this, my wisdom stayed with me. If you drop down to the bottom, just could have time. This conclusion is still, everything was meaningless. A chasing after the wind, nothing was gained under the sun. So wealth in itself, pleasure in itself, isn't it? What about just, you know, just working hard, doing the right things? So I hated life because of all the work that was done under the sun was grievous to me. All of, it's, all of it is meaningless, a chasing after the wind. I hated all the things I had toiled for under the sun because I must leave them to the one who comes after me. Listen, I think we need to have empathy for this perspective. What I mean by that is this, there are an awful lot of people toiling, chasing in their workplaces, becoming slaves to their work, and they hated it. And not necessarily they hated their work, but what's happening here, I think, to the teacher is he understands it's not this. Ultimately, it's not my work. I'm going to toil really hard. Folks, there are a lot of folks out there, empty, struggling, clasping, trying to reach out, find meaning. They even, in a sense, the writer even tries worship. What do I mean by that? Well, the teacher's closed system is not devoid of God. It's not that they have no reference point to God. This, this teacher's system is not atheistic. It's not devoid of God. Their mindset isn't devoid of God. However... Their depiction of God isn't the full picture. You see, their God is somewhat distant. They have a fatalistic point of view. You know, just God's done this, we just have to suck it up. Well, that's not the Christian God in the Bible. That the God is out there distant. He's not a clockmaker of what's called deist belief, who has just set the world running. That's not God. God hasn't just set the world running and left us to it. Even the name for God, the word for God in the book of Ecclesiastes is Elohim. It's the word for just God. God in the book of Ecclesiastes is never called Yahweh. Well, who was Yahweh? Yahweh was the Lord. Yahweh was the personal God. Dave prayed it earlier about a personal God. Yahweh is the personal God who has revealed himself to Israel. He's our God. God is our God. 
He's not just God. He's not just out there, distant, impervious, set the world running and just says, Karis, just get on with it, will you? Roy, just get on with it. Stop, man. Just get on with it. I've set it all in motion. You just suck it. He's not that God. He wants to be involved. He wants to come close, as we'll see later. He's Yahweh. He, he's the covenantal God. Yahweh was the God who made covenant with Israel. He was faithful. He made promises to his people. And the teacher doesn't convey this. He doesn't talk about loving God and God loving him. You're a faithful father, a faithful shepherd. There's, it's not there. So do you see what I mean? He's, he believes in God. Hey, is this you? Is this you? He believes in God. He just doesn't know him personally. God wants to know us personally. Don't you thank God for that? Don't you thank God for that? That even though we go through stuff, he's there with us, isn't it? I'll never leave you. Hold my hand. I'll walk with you. Whatever it is you're going through. There's a quote here that conveys the writers, I won't read it just because of time, but conveys the writer's sense of God. God gives things. He, he sets the world up. He gives gifts, but doesn't convey this personal relationship. And it's almost like some of this stuff, some of the good stuff, the last verse there, verse 20, they, people seldom reflect on the days of their life because God has kept them occupied with gladness of heart. That's his perspective. What the writer's saying there is it's almost like these gifts, these things, good things that God gives that he mentions throughout the book are like narcotics to to numb us to the pain how many people do you know trying to numb their pain with stuff be it work be it family be it wealth whatever it is they're they're just trying to numb the pain they're not really I think that's many folks out there today and the problem is of course if you miss completely that there is a personal God who is for you the problem is this you could end up looking at life and don't we see this a bit jaded a bit cynical. I think we live in our Western world that has so much in, with a mindset, so many who are weary and not hopeful and not optimistic and perhaps busy trying to mask it with something. Is this resonating at all? I'm going to plow on anyway, but it just, okay, let's carry on. So where is the crew of the Orville when you need them? <laughs> Where's the crew of the Orville to break in and tell us, no, 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 that's, that's not all right. You've got some stuff there, but that's not all right. Well, in the book of Ecclesiastes, it comes in the form of another voice. And it is what some commentators call the author. You see, the book is topped and tailed by a teacher who for the rest of the book quotes the teacher, but sets themselves up at the start and end of the book to summarize what's going on. So the majority of the book of Ecclesiastes is this author quoting the teacher. Do you follow? So therefore, what we need is, so what's the author's perspective on the teacher's teaching? Because if all we embrace is the teacher's teaching, that's where we end up. It's meaningless. But the author doesn't say that. The author doesn't endorse it. It's like he's, he's saying, hey, this person's got a lot right. There's a lot in it, but they haven't got the whole picture. And the author breaks into the closed system then. 
And like I say, actually surrounds it in the sense of topping and tailing. And you see it in Ecclesiastes 1, 1 to 11. That was actually the author quoting the teacher. And then at the end of the book, which we'll read in a minute. So the author understands that the teacher's proverbs have truth, but they are faulty. It's not the whole picture. And the author challenges that meaningless motif. It's not the whole picture. And the book of Ecclesiastes, therefore, does not endorse that worldview, that it's all pointless. And neither can we. Neither can we. I want to say to you this morning, brother, sister, I hope you're living, I hope I'm living with a sense of purpose. I hope I'm not living, that it's all a bit pointless, that I've become a bit tired and weary and jaded. Hey, we need to revisit then. We need to say, I I prayed it this week, actually, on the back of prepping. Don't let my fire go cold. Lord, don't let my fire go cold. Don't let me get tired. Don't let me get weary. Don't let me get jaded, cynical. There's nothing new under the sun. How many conversations do you have with church members who say, oh, they're trying this? Nothing new under the sun. And I see that. I get that. We kind of go round in circles, but let's not become cynical with it. So here's what the author concludes. Meaningless, meaningless, says the teacher. Everything is meaningless. So now the teacher is in the third person. You see this. So it's another writer commentating on the teacher. Not only was the teacher wise, elsewhere in the book, the teacher's been I. I did this. I think that. Not only was the teacher wise, but also he imparted knowledge to the people. And there was knowledge. He pondered and searched out and set in order many proverbs. So the teacher's search is earnest. He's doing the right thing in searching. The teacher sought to find delightful words and to write words of truth correctly. The words of the wise, you see, are like goads. They're collected sayings like firmly embedded nails given by one shepherd. What that means is they prompt us. A goad was a stick that a shepherd used to prompt the sheep. Good sayings, wisdom prompts us. It pokes us a bit. It makes us think. But be warned, my son, of anything in addition to them. Be warned of anything in addition to true wisdom. And I think the the author here is saying to their son, son, actually not everything the teacher said was right. So you do need to just be warned of anything in in addition to true wisdom. Now, now... All has been heard. This is it. This is, this is like, you know, we talk about the big idea of a sermon, and this could have been delivered in five minutes. Here is the big idea of Ecclesiastes. Here is the conclusion of the matter. People, you can live your life by this. What follows? Fear God and keep his commands. Fear God. Do what he says. For this is the duty of all humankind. For God will bring every deed into judgment, including every hidden thing, whether it is good or evil. That last verse, by the way, shouldn't scare us. What that means is this. If we fear God and do what he says, everything counts. When we face him, in the measure we've feared him and done what he's asked, we'll get reward. We'll get reward if we do that. There will be punishment and discipline, and we don't want that. But it means that every, it's not that everything's meaningless. It means everything counts. 
That's the message. Everything counts, folks. Do you know we prayed about all those details, didn't we? Everything counts. Everything counts. Fear God. Keep his commands. So those are the two conclusions. Fear God. That's it. I was struck prepping this. Fear God. Do what he says. There will be much in life that you won't understand. There's much in life that we won't understand. We're facing situations at the moment. I just don't know what God's doing. I don't know what he's up to. Fear God. Do what he says. He is over all the system. He's over all the system. That means he's sovereign. He's in charge over all the system. He's, in a sense, I suppose, I don't know, I haven't thought this through. Is he a closed system or not? If he is a closed system, over it all. He is sovereign. Everything is within his plans and purposes. So let's fear him. Because also, it's not just that he's sovereign, he's also trustworthy. You can trust him as well. Why? Because he's good. Because he is Yahweh. He is for us. So there'll be much in life that we won't understand, but nonetheless we can trust him. Because he's good and he's sovereign. And of course, we need to see him in the light of the New Testament. You see, by obeying his commands, we show him we love him. Whoever has my commands and keeps them is the one who loves me. The one who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I too will love them and show myself to them. I just sense this morning that some of us, are in situations that have got a real sting to them. It's hard. And I, I know some folks in the church where this is the case. It's really hard. I believe if we'll embrace this, it can take the sting out of those situations. I think there's a word for you. You are locked in to God. I want to say to you, some of you maybe are thinking, God, what's going on? I just don't understand it. It all seems a bit meaningless. And God would say to you, no, no, no. I am the whole system. You're in my plans and purposes. You are not drifting or wandering far from it. You are absolutely locked in to my plans and purposes. And I'm going to bring to delivery, to birth. I think... I think this is right, that a lady who's pregnant, their waters break. One of the reasons is when the baby's head gets locked in. That baby at that point usually is not going anywhere. God is, if I can use this analogy, God is birthing things in our lives. He may even be birthing something in our church as a whole. I think we could be locked in. Some of you are locked in. You're not going anywhere. God's got you. David said, didn't he? You hem me in. Anyone know what that feels like? And God says, when you just realize, I can't get out of this. I'm not going anywhere here. But that's okay. It's not saying, this teaching, this book is not saying, here's the reason for it, by the way. 
Don't listen to, you know, whoever it is, glibbing. When people come up to you with a glib reason as to what he's doing, what God's doing. You may not at this point know what it is God is doing. But what you can do is this. You can come before him and say, God, I do not understand this at all. But I'm hemmed in. And I'm going to trust. I'm going to fear God. I'm going to have you, God, on your own terms. And I'm going to submit. I'm just going to yield to you. When we do that, whatever else, it can take the sting out of the situation. Why? Well, I think often when we're in those situations, we start to say, God, this is how this needs to play out. This is what you need to do here. Why isn't this happening? Why aren't they doing that? Why has that not been said? Why has that not been shifted? And what we're wanting to do there is control the outcome. How many of us can relate to this? Any of us like controlling the outcome? Put your hands up, all of you, I'm sure. I can't believe, I can't believe any of us don't. We do, don't we? We want to control the outcome. What this teaching, this book says to us is this. You may not understand what it is God's doing in it, but you're going to trust him for the outcome. You're just going to say, God, I'm locked in. I surrender. I submit. And the reason we can do that is because we know he's for us. He broke into the system. He showed his love for us. He lived serving us in the person of Jesus. He died on a cross for you and I to prove his promises, to prove his covenant to us. And he will not let you go, brother, sister. He's not. Do you know what? Even if we're not saying it out loud, some of us in our hearts, me included, need to be saying in our hearts, hallelujah. Come on. He's not going to let me go. I'm locked in. I'm locked into his purposes. I ain't got a clue what he's doing. But he's for me. Hallelujah. I'm going to praise him anyway. I'm going to thank him. I'm going to thank him, that was. I'm going to thank him for this rubbishy situation I'm in now. I'm going to thank him because he's at work. He's changing me. I'm going to listen to voices that give me another perspective. I'm going to humble myself. Spirit of God, I just pray. Guys, do you want to come back up? Spirit, I just pray that even this morning, God, as we're quiet before you now, there will be some who would yield to you. Jesus, take our hands off the outcome. Why don't you do that now, friend? You, if you're in a situation where you just know you'd really, really like to control the outcome. Maybe you just want to put your hands out in front of you as if to say to God, God, I I just let that all go now. I say to you, God, God, you are sovereign, but you're also good. And I just yield this situation to you now. Lord, I want to pray for brothers, sisters who just need grace and refreshing in the situation they're in. Lord, they're locked in, 
but they're tired. And maybe they're a bit in danger of becoming a bit jaded, cynical. I just pray refresh them. Let us not become weary in doing good, for at the right time we will reap a harvest. And I pray for refreshing now. Again, if that's you, if you're in a situation and it's just become weary, it's not that you haven't surrendered it to God, it's, it's just going on an awful long time. Spirit, I pray, would you refresh? Just refresh now, refresh. And Lord, I pray, I speak purpose into lies now. I come against the lie for anyone here that what they're facing, who they are even, is pointless, meaningless, futile, and empty. I just cut that off in the name of Jesus. And we release in this place purpose. We just release a sense by your spirit, a conviction that I matter. I am important. It's not because I have to give meaning to life myself. It's because Jesus' death on the cross has given me meaning and purpose. Yeah. It means I'm not left to the side. It means I'm not forgotten. Spirit, I pray, would you, would you, would you apply the measure of truth there's been this morning to our hearts, we pray.